Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining another Influence Not Power podcast episode. Today, I'm very excited to be joined by Jonathan Andrews, who is a young, successful associate solicitor in Reed Smith's entertainment and media team. He's worked with international clients such as Bauer Media and GVC. Johnny is an inspiration for using his voice and taking action through promotion and expansion of of the disability task force at Reed Smith the Disability Confidence Campaign, serving on a DWP Department of Health Expert Advisory Group for Green Papers, consultation and more, trustee of Ambitious About Autism, the national charity uh, for young autistic people, the Law Society's Equitable Committee, and on an international scale, co-chair of the Commonwealth Children and Youth Disability Network. He has spoken at the UN, OECD, Commonwealth, Council of Europe, and others. In addition, he is also an equitable improvement leader for the mental health charity, Mind. I am so privileged to have the opportunity to speak with Johnny today and to tap into his depth of knowledge and experience with neurodiversity and advocacy to learn how we can all expand our knowledge and understanding, as well as develop an inclusive mindset and inclusive action to partner, support, and include people with disabilities in our workplace and communities. So thank you so much, Johnny, for joining me, and I'm really looking forward to chatting with you today. Thanks, Jen. It's great to be here and, you know, great to uh, share, um, uh, I suppose, get that message out really about neurodiversity and inclusion, as you say, and, you know, why everyone should be treated uh, on the same level playing field. Wonderful. Well, let's dive in. I would love to learn more about your background and your work. Can you tell me about yourself and your journey to where you are today? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, I mean, at the moment, uh, you know, as, as you mentioned, I'm a solicitor uh, in the entertainment and media team at Reed Smith. Um, my journey to this was not particularly uh, traditional. Um, I were basically had, you know, a family that, um, I mean, I wouldn't say, you know, incredibly um, badly off, um, but in terms of the, you know, uh, typical, I'd say, um, individuals that may become a solicitor in uh, a London uh, top law firm um, certainly weren't particularly w- well feel well connected um, compared to you know a lot of other people that um, that m- might be sort of going you know and have a, have that kind of background. Um, I uh, went to um, a local state school um, and then managed to get into King's College London and kind of from there. Um, managed to get the qualifications that I needed to go and get into law but uh, my childhood was not necessarily one that was particularly kind of ordinary because uh, when I was uh, nine years old I was diagnosed as being on the autistic spectrum um, and uh, a lot of people um, would uh, sort of see this and you know in terms of kind of parents who knew my, knew my parents um, would kind of uh, see this as, you know, some terrible, awful tragedy that had befallen them. Um, and uh, in, often they will just say, oh, I'm very sorry. Perhaps they don't know what else to say. But, um, you know, I, I, my my parents, I think my mum would often say, oh, why is that? You know, he's still the same person he was before. He's he's just, you know, got a different way of thinking about the world. We understand it now. He hasn't changed who he is. And I think having that kind of... Um, that kind of upbringing where I wasn't uh, encouraged to necessarily see um, a disability something that wouldn't allow me to do something, but very much something that gave me different strengths along with challenges. 
achieving uh, helped me to see myself I'm on the same level as my peers and and to make the achievements that I um during during my life you know um and to kind of reach uh, a legal career and now to be using that to assist other people who may be in the same kind of positions um that whether that's access to the legal profession or access to employment in general for people with disabilities um including autism or um whether that is advocating for neurodiversity um or whether that's uh, actually working with organizations to open up that kind of recruitment or indeed looking at how um the support uh from the government functions for neurodiverse individuals um so i'm very pleased that i was brought up to not you know not to hide it or to kind of feel ashamed about it but just see it as a natural part of difference in who i was and i think that that's been a big part of um where i've got to today wow that's wonderful and it sounds like you've had a lot of support and particularly with your with your family which is incredible mm-hmm. and crucial have there been any challenges that you have faced along the way in terms of um through education or through um your uh, attaining jobs or career yeah. what you'd say is some of been your most difficult challenges yeah i think mean, really in terms of education um the interesting thing is that academically i didn't really struggle hugely um but i found that because i was kind of hitting the grades um that i was expected to uh this is particularly when i was in primary school before i was properly diagnosed and people like me understood um you know the fact that i was autistic um there could be a kind of an assumption that oh, well, he's doing good you know doing well at school it doesn't really matter um and uh, i could see you know i can see where they're coming from but you know the the issue then was that because i didn't really understand myself and other people didn't really understand me and how i was different it was quite difficult for me to make friends and socialize and um those are all things that are going to affect you um and affect your de- development i guess you know in terms of how you kind of um move forward in life whether they're academic or not um and so that is something where you know um it wasn't necessarily the challenge they were expecting. I think, you know, often where somebody might have a more obvious academic or learning challenge, um, the support there might be more obvious because teachers kind of see how it can be of help. Um, whereas in this case, there was, you know, um, it required more outside lateral thinking, I guess. And I think also in terms of employment, um, the there, there are issues and there are um, barriers that are often kind of exist and they're not always related to actually autism itself um but they can be to kind of people's assumptions so there's an assumption that if you um are open about uh saying that you're autistic on an application form for example um people can assume that oh that means that you can't do certain things or that you're only good at one thing you know um and uh kind of ignoring the other strengths that you have and ignoring the fact that you're an individual um and so that's actually one of the reasons that um, I do advocate now and to be open about it and talk about it is to help dispel a lot of those myths and to say, well, no, all it really means is um, whatever that person, however the person is affected, because autism is different for everybody. Um, and uh, you need to really ask them how they as an individual are affected and what their strengths are, what the challenges are. Um, and I think a lot of the difficulty that comes, comes from kind of people who, uh, have 
difficulty in seeing that it's not one size fits all, for example. Yes, yes. And I, with so much of what I'm learning as I'm diving more into different areas of um, diversity and inclusion is this this simple concept of it coming down to the individual. So I love how you how you put that in there. It's, you know, speak to the individual and, and learn how, how it is for them, what it means for them, because at the end of the day, then that's all that's all that really matters. It's each one life, each one person, and we can um, help and support them and see beyond what is not necessarily lazy, but in many ways it is. Like we're painting people with broad brush strokes just so that we can put them in a box and move on. Um, so I really like that. I like thinking of you know, we can help people th- take away their challenges by simply understanding them as an individual. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think that uh, that is, you know, a, a really key point is that it, it's very much about understanding individuals. Um, what you don't want to do is label people um, and kind of say, well, no, because you're autistic, you're going to do this and this and this, or because you're dyslexic, you're you know, going to be terrible at blah, you know, um, whatever it is. It's very much about seeing who they are and what strengths they might have. And people will have different strengths and different needs. And it's important not to ignore either, you know, um, and to recognise that everybody is complex um, in the same way that everybody, you know, in the world is complex and different and uh, identities shape us who we are. But also within that, we have each individual personalities, desires, um, wants, challenges, etc. Um, and that that is the really key key thing to remember. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, there you mentioned dyslexic and un- autism and um, so moving into sort of these different language um, around the topic and when I started researching you um, one of the first time it was one of the first times that I came across the term neurodiversity and I love that word I think it is uh, fantastic and I think that for those listening um, they might be many people might be hearing it for the first time for themselves as well so you um, were graciously explained it to me when we Mm. first spoke but I'm wondering if you can give a little bit more background on the term uh, and all those things that go along with uh, neurodiversity Mm. yeah absolutely so neurodiversity uh, at its heart is recognizing that people have differently wired brains um uh, that goes for everybody obviously but particularly there are uh, people who um have uh, enough traits to have uh, neurodivergent brains um and those uh, will be people um who are autistic who are dyslexic um dyspraxic um uh, which you know for those who don't know is often around uh, coordination difficulties and spatial awareness and things like that um, it can also include ADHD um, and uh, other um, kind of d- differences, sometimes Tourette syndrome as well, is included in neurodiversity. And what it really is, is saying that um, these different ways of thinking are just a natural part of how uh, humanity is, is, is made, um, that these aren't things that you should be thought of as um, problems that should be cured but rather people should be understood for being who they are and their differences. And, you know, um, they should be supported in society to be able to live as who they are and to um, be able to contribute to, to society. Um, and it's a sort of term that has, in recent years, I think, started to really gain in um, traction and 
compared to say five years ago where I think you know the term existed but you wouldn't have um, found firms using it um, really Um, and now you do see companies uh, charities you know that are that do speak about neurodiversity do celebrate neurodiversity weeks and days and um, who really do kind of tend to understand it I think it start. It's, it needs to grow. You know, the, the awareness needs to grow, and I think it, it it will do in future years. It does seem like it's something where people are becoming more and more aware. Um, partly because of uh, more people being diagnosed who were born in say 1990s or so, who are now entering into the workplace, um, and you know, advocating uh, on the personal for it in a way that they haven't done before. Um, because many people in the previous generations may not know that they're neurodiverse or not identify as that. Um, but at its heart, it, you know, it, it, it is that, that vision that um, people's experiences and their different ways of thinking are different than natural, um, that they're not comparable, say, to mental health difficulties, which sometimes, for example, in the past, autism and mental health have been kind of inequitably linked together um but a mental health issue is something which kind of affects your mind in a negative way whereas autism is fundamental to who that person is and while it will bring challenges it will also bring strengths and it's not something that you should be seeking to kind of remove from them um and that's really the key the key point of, of neurodiversity is respecting those natural differences everybody has that just make the world that bit more interesting Yes, and I love how putting a, uh, you know, a, a name to it that's almost just, it, not that the word neurodiversity is brand new, but choosing a word that doesn't have sort of this, any stigma associated with it for, and new enough that people do begin to ask questions and to want to use it and adopt it and, you know, let it be out of the gate with a good positive understanding as this is something that we um that means that there are strengths within it and i love that it's not something we're trying to cure or heal or make go away or suppress it's something we're trying to nurture and understand Mm -hmm. um and so to that point too i mean it it does speak to language um Mm -hmm. which is such a critical critical component of the movement towards equality and just the same as gender and race there's a lot of specific language that's associated with autism and neurodiversity can you share some of the well-accepted terms for referring to people and traits um as well as those that we should work to remove from our current vocabulary yeah, absolutely. Um, so, I mean, there are some terms which people disagree on and others which are pretty clear cut. Um, but I mean, to give you an example, for example, um, for instance, when you're speaking about um, the sort of parts of autism, for example, um, such as characteristics, um, they, the referred term there, as you've used, is traits um, rather than, say, symptoms. Um, which can sometimes be used uh, when talking about diagnosis. But the trouble with kind of symptoms is it makes it seem like it's some sort of illness or disease or, you know, something like that. Um, And something that kind of creates an issue that pops up. Whereas a trait is a much more neutral term, just saying this is the kind of um, the kind of way of thinking or the kind of doing things that tends to be associated um, with individuals who are autistic. Um, you will also note that um, I like to use uh, 
uh, identity first language. Um, so I will talk about myself as an autistic person rather than a person with autism. Um, this is one where um, there isn't kind of universal agreement um, because some people do prefer to say person with autism or person with dyslexia, etc., um, because they feel that that puts the person first and people are reminded that there is an individual um, you know, who's ultimately at the heart of all this. Um, but the majority of at least autistic people, um, I don't know if there are stats on other um, neurodivergent uh, um, groups and what they think, but certainly all of the research I've seen on the autistic community suggests that we prefer identity first language like autistic person. Um, and I suppose the re a lot of the reason behind this is that we don't feel that you should have to kind of put person in front of, of it to um, remind people that you're an individual. Uh, but also um, to say person with autism kind of makes it feel like that autism isn't really part of you. That it's kind of a separate thing that can be kind of taken away. Um, and that has in the past kind of led to um, what I would call problematic views where kind of um, you have people who think oh well you just take the autism away from somebody and that will cure all the issues that they have you know or that oh you know my son has been kind of captured by autism um, and actually the truth is that we're born with autism we're autistic um, we uh, it affects how how we see the world absolutely but we'd be different if we didn't have it you know if we weren't autistic so actually um, it, it really goes to that heart um, and it's it's almost like, you know, with, with other identities, um, people are able to say I'm gay or, like, you know, um, I am a woman. And I don't need to put person in front of it um, mm -hmm. because it, it, does, it, it isn't needed. And so because it's that same kind of identity uh, rather than an illness, but it's identity as autistic, um, we thought that that kind of appropriate language to use the other um important note um is around what neurodiversity is and what being neurodivergent is um now uh again it will depend kind of but the generally accepted um view is that if somebody is actually you know is, is, is autistic is is uh, dyslexic um is dyslexic or ha uh, it, it falls in one of those conditions they would be what's termed neurodivergent um because they diverge on a greater uh, level than the rest of society. But as we've already noted, everybody is different. And so neurodiversity is something which affects everybody. And so neurodiversity is a much wider term, um, which includes the natural variance, regardless of whether you have, you know, ident identified autistic, for example. Um, and it will also capture people who maybe have some autistic traits, um, but who do not identify themselves as autistic because about 20% according to some research of individuals have some autistic traits but only about 1% to 2% identify as autistic so um, having those traits doesn't necessarily mean that you will be autistic for example dyslexic um, but you still have that different way of thinking so it's, it's, it's helpful to still remember that neurodiversity is much more wide ranging Yes, yes. And is there any, in terms of language, you know, 
even for me, who's very fascinated by, mm. by learning about all these topics, I still sort of worry and concern about saying the wrong thing or that's no longer um, socially appropriate. Is there anything that should be, you know, words that might almost seem too common that we should just refrain from using um, or things that maybe we we don't even associate with um you know, autism, but maybe our, our language or jokes that we're so used to saying, like, is there anything that we should just try and chop out of the way we speak to avoid, um, you know, making anyone feel excluded or, or called out or uncomfortable in any way? Mm. Yeah, I mean, obviously, there are lots of kind of phrases that people might use in the past and still use, um, but shouldn't, um, around disability in general. Um, and certainly, you know, those wouldn't be acceptable, um, whether that is talking about neurodiversity or whether any other kind of form of uh, disability. Um, and generally, I'd say is um, using kind of language that um, makes uh, differences feel like an illness or like a disorder, for example, um, is generally something that uh, can cause offence to people. Um, now, autism um uh, or the autistic spectrum disorder is in um psychiatric manuals um and in those circumstances where for instance somebody wants a medical diagnosis um and they need that diagnosis obviously you the, the, the person responsible for that is going to have to be speaking in those terms um because that is how they obtain that diagnosis um but that doesn't mean in everyday conversation uh, it's generally best practice to speak in that way. It's generally not. It's generally, you know, if you have to talk about um, a a autistic spectrum something, it's often condition is the most helpful. Although even that has some kind of connotations. So generally, I just say autistic spectrum uh, or autism. Um, um, so anything like that really is just something to kind of be aware of. Um, obviously, it will depend as well on the individuals, um, and some individuals will prefer different terminology. But that is the generally accepted um, kind of best practice way way forward, I, I would say. Um, and other than that, I mean, it's generally a matter of um, respecting people. And, um, you know, um, there, as I say, there are obvious terms that we shouldn't be using in uh, relation to disability as a whole. Um, but it's really just a matter of, you know, those, those will apply equally to people um, who would, uh, you know, to disabled people of all backgrounds, um, not, not necessarily neurodiverse specific. Yes. I like, I like how that goes back to, again, it's, you know, it's, you know, even something that's good to remind myself, I'll like, stop worrying about what you're going to say and avoid and wanting to avoid offending anybody, but turn it into, okay, we'll make, let's just make sure I'm always speaking respectfully and I'm mm. always considerate. And I like how you said too, just, you know, everyone's different you can just ask them too like is there language mm. that you do or do not like um you know it, they're they're individuals they as you said they have their own preferences they have um you know various ways that it does um come into their life and so if we take it away from a point of of fear of doing the wrong thing and more thinking okay well how can we make sure we're doing the right thing um that it, it's a lot more comfort in that um and that's a lot more guidance in that yeah absolutely 
Um, now, moving on to the area of um, the workplace. Um, mm-hmm. So the workplace has a long way to go for properly hiring, integrating, um, and developing individuals with autism and, and who are neurodivergent. Mm-hmm. Um, can you share with us a little bit about what employers can do to remove bias in hiring processes and to help integrate and include individuals uh, within the organization and adequately support them to develop their key skills? Yeah, absolutely. So um, one of the big things which is really important is actually making sure that um, neurodivergent people feel able and uh, uh, feel comfortable to actually apply to firms often there can be an assumption that um, a firm isn't going to be very working unless they show um, that they are. Um, and often that can be because of the experience people have had with uh, maybe education or, you know, other parts of society beforehand. Um, and therefore, actually talking about what you're doing is really important. So, for example, when I've joined my firm, um, they put up a lot of information on their website about uh, open day that they were running um, for disabled people uh, and in, in encouraging you to apply to those, which I did. Uh, they were also talking about um, how they were supporting initiatives within the workplace as well, um, having a task force, for example, in the network. Um, and you were encouraged to kind of speak to people who were involved in that and, and, and meet those people. And there was a dedicated area on the website that showed you that um, that firm did care about it and it was a very integral part of what that firm did. Um, compare that to, you know, um, a uh, firm that doesn't really call that out, that just kind of says, uh, we welcome everybody, um, which is great, but it's just really meeting what legal obligations are. It's not really going further than that. Um, and so, um, while they don't have to go further, they probably will miss people who will think I'm not really that comfortable. I don't know 100% that that firm's going to be kind of good and open with me. Um, and so you want people to be able to actually apply in the first place. And then when, when you're talking about kind of people in the workplace, um, it's really important to think about what do people think of when they think of autism? Because um, as we as I mentioned previously, there can be people who see it and think, oh, gosh, well, that person couldn't possibly work here. It's a, you know, it's a difficult job. It's a high-stress job. Um, you've got to juggle a lot of things. just won't work. And these are negative kind of connotations that a lot of people will, um, will pick up um, and, and have, partly because of how kind of society you know, speaks about um, uh, neurodiversity, um, which is changing, actually, I would say. I would say I think it's become more of a positive thing recently. But when you think about kind of the um, age of a lot of individuals and the fact that, you know, they were growing up in a very different time in terms of this, but it, not necessarily, you know, um, being anti-autism, but because there were less uh, autistic, um, openly identifying autistic people, um, they probably would have associated it with um, more kind of extreme forms um, and people who um, may who wouldn't necessarily represent the average uh, per- autistic person who'd actually apply to a law firm. Um, so there are all these kind of societal reasons why um, there might be bias in that way. Um, and I think really, I mean, ultimately it's about showing how everyone's individual, everyone's different, um, and I think that it's a part of your exposure to people, actually, um, who are um, neurodivergent. Um, and those neurodivergent people 
are then you know going to be more able to show people that they're just people you know that they're different in different ways but they're all individuals and have their different individual differences um i think also in terms of uh, actually um making sure that when you're doing work and you know without that workplace environment there's fairness it's think about what will help people um so logistic people that might be having very clear instructions on what to do what to prioritize etc um that kind of that kind of thing um which of course helps everybody else as well um but you know there can be times where instructions aren't really given that clearly um and actually having that clarity can be really helpful particularly for autistic people um and there will be others that will have you know apply to dyspraxic people dyslexic people um but really it's just about um it, it it's about working out what that individual needs um and reflecting that and not seeing adjustments as these terrible things um that are going to cost huge amounts of money and uh you know are going to kind of make things uneven because actually the adjustments are there to level the playing field um to help people work on their own merits um and they often don't cost very much I mean the average adjustment costs less than one pound um certainly in the UK at least so um it you know it, it's just about that mindset I think is the, is the is the key thing the mindset about adjustments the mindset about actually the inclusion of autistic and neurodivergent people and just showing externally that you're open that's wonderful. And I like that it's uh, the idea of it, like putting it blatantly on your website, because you're right, if, if, a, if a statement is to say, we include everyone, mm. it's almost impossible to see yourself included in, mm. in that everyone. Like to call it out is really to feel like you're a part of that. Yeah, absolutely. And then also in terms of yeah, making these adjustments, because as you said before, that... Um, autism helped you see or not helped you it it mm. made you you see the world differently mm. and so that you know where more and more workplaces are going towards this concept of having more um types of thoughts and ideas at the table like the value of having someone who is naturally wired to see the world differently um mm. I just, I just see that the value of that would go so far beyond a few small adjustments, um, if even necessary. I mean, and it might be that there's, as you say, you know, we're, we've seen this, um, this almost stereotype of what we think it is because it's only starting to come to the forefront more recently mm -hmm. about how many people do do have it. So if we're, you know, we're we're no longer. It might be that people that have autism, and there are probably many that we that have it and we don't even know like it's not that just because someone has it therefore there are going to need to be adjustments um so i think it, it's nice just to just to drop all of our you know pre-assumptions when the you know uh, someone with autism comes across our desk on a resume or, or whatever in an interview mm. it may be and stop thinking about all the reasons why that will impact the work and just accept it as a statement of fact and move on <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Um, see that difference, as you say, and just respect um, that, you know, there'll be that it, it isn't always related to oh, well, this person can't do this or can't do that. Um, mm -hmm. And I think your point around adjustments is a really interesting one, because, um, I mean, there are people now that are starting to kind of come out and be open around uh, being autistic uh, who have been in professions for quite a while. 
Um, so, I mean, when I, you know, when I joined Drayton, if I was the only kind of open autistic individual, and um, since then um, we've had more senior people who've kind of been open about it who previously weren't. But I guess seeing that now there's that conversation happening and we're able to. Um, and certainly in the UK, we had um, the chairwoman of the Institute of Directors, Charlotte Villeur, uh, I believe it was last month, who uh, she came out as autistic. Um, and, you know, she was the, the um, chairperson of a incredibly important organisation um, and uh, had reached that position, um, not being out about it. Um, and kind of was doing it, I think, to say, well, yes, um, people can achieve. You know, it's not always the case that um, you kind of just assume that it's going to correlate with kind of people having um, difficulties in different ways um, or not being able to achieve certain levels. You you can get to this point. Um, you know, that 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 is my identity. Um, and so certainly it's something that employers need to think a lot more about. And not so much in terms of, you know, do we want to take people on? Because, you know, they probably already are. Um, the fact of the matter is that, you know, with a good number of neurodivergent people in society, they're probably already hiring a number of them. Uh, but it's just about how can they support them in the best way? Yes. And that leads me nicely into the next question in terms of originally thinking community, but community mm -hmm. and workplace as you know, colleagues, friends, um, mentors, mentees, whatever it may be, however we associate um, with individuals who are neuro neurodivergent, what can we do um, in terms of ensuring that they feel um, welcome, included, seen, heard, supported, um, you know, naturally going towards understanding them as an individual um, and recognizing that that forms a part of their life? Um, but is there anything more we can do that isn't um, something that would naturally come as, as common sense to us that we can do to support others who are, have, are, who are neurodivergent? Yeah, well, I think it's um, I think what you can do is kind of make sure you listen to people, ask uh, what you can do and then listen to kind of what they say, um, because everyone's going to have their different different views and often just being listened to in that way. Um, and people kind of taking that time to find out what they can do is going to be kind of really helpful. Um, and just, you know, just, just that kind of that level of, of, of um, respect. I think generally showing that you um, read up about these kind of things, that you keep abreast of kind of the, you know, the importance of it, of inclusion. Um, I certainly know that, you know, my firm showing that they'd taken an effort to understand um, different forms of disability and including neurodiversity in, in the different conditions um, or traits you know that might fall into that um, how it was really helpful to me in, in kind of understanding um, and accepting them as, as a good place to work and um, that's certainly something that I found is the case um, and I think I, I think that often it's about listening to people um, you know being able to ask not feeling too awkward about it um, because I think often, and certainly in the UK, I don't know about um, don't know about you, but in the UK, it can sometimes feel like you don't want to say anything um, when somebody has a disability or is disabled because um, it you, too many awkward questions. But actually, if you just kind of ask, you know, what kind of support do does somebody need, if, if any? Often, that's that's the best way. Just you know, treat them as individuals. 
Yeah, I like I'm I'm coming to learn more and more um about the how much people value genuine curiosity. You mm-hmm. know, it's not sort of that it's not we're the ones that f- feel awkward when we ask questions most of the time, not just to, you know, people with disabilities, but to any time that we're, you know, we want to learn more and naturally it it puts us in this position of saying we don't know something. But you know, to say that it's, we're genuinely curious and it's coming from a good place. And exactly as you said, you know, we've done a little bit of work on our own, like we've been reading up on it and we're, we're informing ourselves. Um, I think that can go a really long way um, to, for more and more of us to become more aware and and supportive Mm -hmm. on this topic and yeah, come from a place of getting to know one person at a time. It doesn't have to be that you have to understand every you know, every point on the spectrum and how mm-hmm. someone lands there. It's just the person's who's sitting in front of you. What's their experience? And mm. yeah, that's yeah, really, good. really cool. Well, I suppose my, my last question for you is um, mostly, just, is there anything else that we haven't covered today uh, that you feel is important to bring um, to people's attention or awareness on this topic? Mm. Yeah, I mean, I think we've had a really good conversation, actually, and we've really dived into what it is to be neurodivergent, neurodiverse, to be autistic, um, to have those differences, the importance of um, employability and, you know, giving people a fair shot um, and reflecting the different strengths that people can bring. Um, I think, you know, the, the real the real thing to, to really emphasise here is um, the number of people uh, who were um, diagnosed, identified as um, neurodivergent, you know, in recent years, I, I mean, particularly speaking about kind of people that were my age, so born in the 90s, um, and I mean, also um, the uh, 2000s, um, it, it has increased um, quite a lot. Um, and that they, they did think that, you know, that might be because there are just more autistic people in the world for whatever reason. But actually, when you look at the stats now where, you know, over the last kind of few years, actually, that's starting to level off and there isn't a significant um, kind of increase. It suggests that actually it's just more that there were um, ways of detecting difference in yeah, this kind of start around that time that have then led to a greater number of people being identified Um and learning at a younger age about who they are um, um, and that part of their identity. And I think that, you know, it can't be understated what that's likely to, to have in terms of the impact of talking about neurodiversity on the uh, legal profession, on, the, on, on all workplaces, in fact, on, um, on society as a whole um, as time goes on. Um, because you are going to have an increasing number of young people who are going to be coming into firms, who are going to be talking about their experiences, who are going to be talking about their identities as being neurodivergent, like I did, who hopefully will then encourage others who previously haven't really thought about it or haven't felt comfortable talking about it, um, who may be from old generations to be able to do that. Um, And so, you know, having that kind of greater awareness of people at a young age then allows us to talk about more about it uh, in workplaces and encourage those who are older to, to, to advocate around us as well or to just be open about who they are. And I think um, I think that there is a difference in terms of when you find out younger. I found out at nine, 
Um, and so when I was kind of discovering who I was as a teenager and when you're a young adult, you know, and you're finding yourself, you already know that about yourself. And it kind of forms part of your identity. And I've noticed it can be different when people are older and find out later because they've spent years of their life thinking that they're not different or in that particular way, that they're not autistic. Um, and then it turns out that someone's saying that they are. Whereas for me, it's been very much like, well, this is part of me. And I haven't felt ashamed of it. I haven't felt um, like it was something that's going to hold me back. And that has really helped in terms of the advocacy that I do. And I think you're going to see more of that as time goes on, because you're going to see more people who actually see, well, this is me and it's my identity and it makes me different, a bit like being gay or being a woman or being black. Um, and it's not something I should feel ashamed of. Um, and I think that's going to have a good um, impact on the voice of neurodiversity within work and within society generally. Wow. Well, that's fantastic. That is perfect insight, a wonderful note to leave on. And I thank you again so much for, for your time with me today, Johnny, and for sharing all of this information with the listeners of the Influence Not Power podcast. And I look forward to connecting with you again sometime soon. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. It's been great to speak to you. Wonderful. Thanks so much.